We're going through the book of Ephesus, and for those who are here as our guests, we're going verse by verse. Now, let me tell you something that's really um, important about that. A lot of times, when we're just reading because we want to benefit ourselves or whatever, or even doing messages, we kind of tend to lean towards Scripture that all of us kind of know. But when you do verse by verse, you find yourself running across some things that are absolutely amazing. And so, as I was working on this message... Chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 13, which is the mystery. It talks about the mystery. What is the mystery? And how, how Paul, the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this out in such an incredible way. And if you remember, when we started this series, we talked about this being the church, the glorious church. And so in this particular portion of scripture, you see how that's being revealed to us, that it is the glorious church. Now, when I say that, we live in the world where the church isn't always glorious, don't we? Sadly. But guess what? That's not how God views it. (laughs) That's not how Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, views it. It's absolutely, totally the glorious church. And so as we look at these verses today, and Paul writes to us, to the, the folks at Ephesus, yes, but to us, and it's that pastoral letter. And see, that's my heart, is pastoral ministry. That's what God put in me. He did that for me. I didn't choose that. He chose that for me, and then he quit me to do it. And you'll see how that plays out in these verses as well. But it's a letter of life and light. It's the living presentation of the truth of God. So here's the deal. Think about this, the glorious church. So we are the glorious church in Chester, South Carolina, and we're not the only church. Just That's not the point. But we, the church, all of us who make up the church of Jesus Christ in Chester, South Carolina, we are the glorious church. And so that being said, guess what? Everywhere we go and with every person we communicate, we're revealing to them the glorious church, because this building is not the church. We're the church. It doesn't stay here when we leave. The building stays here. We get to come here. We get to sing and worship and study and pray and and do the things that God gives us to do, equip and send. But at the end of the day, it's us going home. It's us going to work. It's us going to commerce. It's us. It's us revealing the reality of Jesus Christ and everything we're in. Now think about that as we talk about the glorious church. And look what Paul says, verse 1, chapter 3. For this reason, I, I'm not an English major. And those who know me know that's true. But there's something about the structure here that Paul's, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of the Gentiles. Now he was in prison in Rome, but he says, that's not why I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner because I've done what God has given me to do. In other words, he says, if I wasn't in Christ, carrying out the will of Christ for my life, if I wasn't there, guess what? I wouldn't be in jail. Part of the lesson we're going to talk about today in these verses is when God calls us and when God places us and how he equips us to carry out the ministry he's given for us to do, we will find there's difficulty. Now, 
I have two people who haven't fallen asleep yet, and we're about five minutes in. Okay. <laughs> There's difficulty. There's going to be challenges to what God has called you to do. Have you not read the Gospels? Jesus Christ, God's Son, second person of the Trinity, He's here. How far did His difficulty and suffering go? To the cross of Jesus Christ. Why are we whining? Why are we grumbling, as it were, when things are not going as we want them to go? He says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Or he says, God gave me what was needed for me to carry out his will in every aspect of life. He does that for every one of us. He absolutely equips us and prepares us, but makes us the reality. And he says that by the revelation there was made known to me uh, the mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery. As I wrote before, in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, the latter part of these verses, as I was working on those, I found stuff I had never seen before, which I'm always excited about. But the mystery is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would lay down all the glories of heaven and come to earth. And here on earth, what would he do? He would submit himself to the very creation that he had created and suffer at their hands to provide salvation. Can you even, well, I'm working on trying to grasp what that, what that really means. I know it's really cool stuff, but that he laid down all the glories of heaven. We sang about that earlier. All the glories of heaven, all the things of God, all the things that he knew about from all the creation. And he comes down and he humbly submits himself to the hand and the hands that he had created to give his life as a ransom for many. That is an amazing and incredible mystery. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific. He says, so God is continuing to open it up. God is continuing to give us revelation. God is continuing. You see, it isn't that there's new revelation in the sense of what from God's perspective, but there is from ours because we don't see it all. We don't know it all. In fact, just a warning, when you encounter the person who says they know it all, take a few steps away. Lightning's getting ready to strike. You don't want to be close. Step away. None of us. I have had the honor of studying the Word of God for over 50 years now. And you want to realize now, after over 50 years of study, I know less now than I knew when I started. But I know more now than I knew when I started. I know that's a little strange, but it's true. Because the deeper you get into it, the more and more you realize, wait a minute, this is what God was saying. This is what God was meaning. This is what God is wanting us to understand and apply. And he says, this, this was revealed 
and his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, look what it says. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and the fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister. He's talking to us because we are those Gentiles. We're not, well, excuse me, you may be here, you may be Jewish descent. I don't know everybody here, so that's possible. But some of those who are not Jewish descent. And he says, the cool thing is the Gentiles who were the outsiders now have been provided an entrance in. And guess what? The entrance is no different than if you're a Jew. You come in through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are fellow heirs. What does that mean to be an heir with Christ? That means that all there is in Christ. And see, as you think about this, and I pray that God you will, but not just with your mind, but in your inner man. As you contemplate the depth of this and realize, wait a minute. All that's in Christ is in me. And all that's in Christ is in us as the body of Christ. That's why it's the glorious church. That's why it's God working supernaturally in amazing ways. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now, I want to think about that. When we're doing what God's given us to do. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everybody's a missionary or everybody's a pastor. It doesn't mean all. It means that God has placed within us an amazing quality that gets revealed in our world. And when that's happening, what we're doing looks so easy that anybody thinks they can do it. Let me illustrate. One of my heroes from this community was J.W. Campbell. I don't know how many of you knew J.W. Campbell. I think he was one of my heroes because he was very much like my father. He was six foot four, big guy, had served in the Marine Corps, just like my dad. And he and I became friends. And he worked in the textile plant, but he, his dad, and his brother did construction on the side. And they're always working. And so one day, I mentioned to J.W. that I needed to paint my house. He goes, no problem, I'll be there Saturday, we'll do it together. So this man comes over, and he pulls out a four-inch paintbrush, which is normal. And he starts painting the windows first with a four-inch paintbrush. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry, take a break. I'm going to explain it to those who don't. Okay, (laughs) those who do, whatever. The sashes inside the windows, he's got a four-inch paintbrush, and he's painting it like that. I got a half-inch paintbrush, and I'm making a mess. And I, I, I literally, he, finally, he just said, why don't you go paint the wall? You know, <laughs> I got this. He made it look so easy. I'm thinking... How does he do that? I still don't know how he did it. I mean, just years and years of practice. He just knew he he was so gifted in that area. I just stood in amazement. And I've had that opportunity with many, many people. Because when people do something so effortlessly, 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 
What is that word? <laughs> you know what I mean. Okay, thank you. When it looks easy. <laughs> and you're going, how do they do that? Like, well, I can do that. Well, I can look at J.W. Campbell painting my windows and think, I can do that. But I was wrong because I had to clean a whole lot of paint off a whole lot of glass when I tried to do it his way. So we have those people, and that's what Paul's talking about, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. And remember in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I do what I do by the grace of God. What is God's grace? God is that unmerited favor that he provides and gives to us so freely and so abundantly so that our lives are just incredible and amazing in all that he's doing. To me, he says, now this is really gets really fun. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles, and here's the word I wanted you to see, the unfathomable riches of Christ. We're never going to get to the end of it. I love the music that we had, the lyrics that we had in the songs at the beginning where it's talking about heaven and and jesus coming back and what that's all going to be like because i got to tell you as much as i look forward to that and anticipate that i still can't wrap my mind around that it's unfathomable and he says i don't know why he picked me remember me saul before i was paul i was the guy hunting down the Christians and putting them in prison and then watching as they were killed. Why did he pick me? I would ask him the same question. Why did he pick me? And I don't have the answer that he just picked me. I'm grateful. I'm honored. I'm blessed. But it's all by his grace. For me to be a public speaker, for example... When I was a child, I had a nickname. For those of you who are very, very young, and most of you are, my nickname was John Deere. Yeah, after a tractor. That's right. Now, let me tell you why I acquired that nickname. Because I stuttered. And every time I'd go to start a sentence, I would go, and I would say it. The old John Deere's, Back in the day, that when they would start up, that's how they would start up. And then they would fire up. So, I had that nickname. So, for me to be here today, speaking publicly, I know that's God. There's no other explanation. It's God. Because as I grew, and my mom was taking me to the doctors, they were trying to figure out if there was something they could do for me. They talked about surgery, cutting on my tongue, all sorts of stuff. None of it sounded fun. And then it just disappeared. It just gone. And now I've had the privilege of speaking publicly for close to 50 years. For him. For him. That's what makes it so fun. It's for him. See, it's his riches. And being and bring to the light what is the administration, the mystery, which was for ages that has been hidden in God who created all things. See that mystery. Isn't it? Paul keeps taking us back. The mystery. It was so unfathomable. So amazing. So incredible. That God would come down. And take on the form of a man. 
and subject himself to the hands of his creation. That's a mystery. And that when he did so, his death, the shedding of his blood, is what gives us life. So that we can be in him. So we can know salvation and what that means and how that works. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This is where it got fun for me because I had never seen what I saw in these verses. When it's talking about the rulers and authorities, in my mind, because of my previous study, I immediately went to Ephesians 6, that our spiritual warfare is against principalities and powers. Well, guess what? That's not what this means. What he's talking about are the angels in heaven. Now, think about it this way. The angels in heaven have been there forever. They've watched God create the world and the universe. And yet, when they see what Jesus did to provide salvation for us, And then when they see what happens in our lives and in his church as a result of that, they were in awe. One of the songs we sang had that in it. They were in awe. They were were going, oh my goodness. Now they've seen some really crazy good stuff. But they're saying, oh my goodness, look at that. And think about that as we get up today and leave this building and we as the church go into our community with that kind of life being revealed through us every day. How's that going to happen? Well, on the surface, and this is surface, it's going to have something to do with your language. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about those of you in the group who curse all the time. Oh, you think we don't have those? Yeah, we got a few. I'm talking about the fact that our language expresses our unbelief in God. The greatest sin in the church today is unbelief. We talk about it. We sing about it. But at the end of the day, sadly, so much of those who make up the church do not believe that God is really God. That he is sovereign, as we sang earlier, and he is working things out for his glory. You know why? Because we get caught up on me. Lord, I, I got this prayer request, and, and I prayed it many, many times, and you didn't answer. Why not? Now, it's okay to ask God, but be ready for the answer. It may be that he's saying, you know, the reason I can't answer that is because there's something in your life that you're not willing to give up. Today's a big deal about money, right? How you spend your money? You know, we have people sitting here today who steal from God every week. You see, we're the glorious church. It's not just about showing up on Sunday, celebrating a little bit, listening to a message, and get up and go home. Oh, no. If that's all it is, 
it ain't much. It's really shallow. But when our life is in him and we are his through the salvation, blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're living that out every day. It's going to reveal itself. It's going to reveal itself in how I treat my wife. And by the way, that's in the Bible, too. And if you're here and you got hung up on the last thing I said about money, read Proverbs. Tells you what to do. The angels are looking at us, and they are in awe. Can you get that? I'm thinking, man, to see an angel. And they're looking at us saying, oh, man, you guys are so blessed. It's amazing. It is amazing. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence access to faith in him remember back to what's the greatest sin of the church today unbelief at least in my estimation and that ought not be so if you're here and you're having trouble believing god confess it ask forgiveness of it repent and move on let him help you he wants to i promise you he does that's how this life is to be lived out so when we get to this I want to introduce you to some folks. This one you may or may not know. Because I'm military, when I find something military, I like to get it. This is General William G. Boykin. Now, why him? Why would I pick him? Well, he is an American hero, whether you know it or not. He was one of the original Green Beret. As he advanced through the ranks, he became the commander of all the Green Beret and all special forces and operations for the Army. Ultimately, as he continued to progress through the ranks, and by the way, this is an early picture. He's 74 today. He became, as a three-star general, appointed to the Pentagon. And that was the beginning of the woes of General William G. Boykin. You know why? People began to campaign against him being in, the camp- being in the Pentagon. You know why? Because he was a committed evangelical Christian. This guy's been in almost every major conflict in the world up until that time. And when he gets appointed to the Pentagon, he becomes public enemy number one. You can go online, listen to his testimony. He gives it all over. It's on YouTube. In fact, I was trying to capture it. It was just so long I couldn't get it for today. And I know you guys have been wanting lunch after a while. And here's what he said in his testimony. He says, the pressures mounted and the accusations kept coming. I would decide to resign. He had plenty of time and to retire. But he said, every time that I would make that decision, God would reveal scripture to me. And I would know that I was making the wrong decision. And then finally, as time went on and even to the point, and by the way, he made a statement, and I have most of it here in this document. 
at a church in Oregon that was captured. And this is when it really, really got bad for him. He says, because we're a Christian nation, because our foundation and our roots are uh, Judeo-Christianity, the enemy is a guy named Satan. And he went on to say that the Muslims and the organizations that are part of the anti-American campaign against us are just from that enemy. And all the organizations who had those affiliations in America rose up against him to the point. Now, listen to this, to the point. He said, this is what really got me. And this is when I wanted to walk out the door. But God stopped me. He said, when the president of the United States stood in the Rose Garden and denounced me for one who was not in line with American policy. Now, if you haven't served military service, you won't maybe grasp the magnitude of that. When the commander-in-chief, which is our president, says to one of his military men who has records of heroism and the medals to prove it, you're off base. You're not in line with American politics and policies. He said, I'm going to tell you. I was a, he, said, he said, I'm telling you. I was making it all about Jerry. That was, that's his nickname. All about me. All about me. And he said, because I was so focused on me and what it was doing to me. And by the way, for those who don't know, the, uh, so many um, organizations had threats on his life and threats on the lives of his family. In fact, I'd heard a testimony many, many years ago how I was introduced to him that when they found out that his wife's name had made the list of the terrorist list of assassination. She said, bring it. I'm packing. I guess that's the kind of wife you need to have when you're you know, in that situation. But he said, all this was going on. And I, he said, I became more and more focused on me and how it was affecting me and how it was affecting my family. He said, and because of that, I couldn't see what God was doing. He said, but God kept revealing Scripture to me. And as God revealed the Scripture, he said, Scripture I didn't know about. And people would come up and give prophetic words to me. People I didn't even know. He said, there was one lady that said, I don't know who you are. He goes, you got to be blind and, you know, living in a cave. Are you kidding me? She goes, I promise you. I don't know. It turned out the lady truly did not know who he was because she had been spending her time watching no news, reading nothing but prayer and fasting. But she said, here's the word God gave me. And, and twice it happened. Same woman. He, she said, came back. She says, I still don't know who you are. God gave me another word. Here it is. And the word is, you're going to be exonerated. And he said, and that, that happened. And he said, then all of a sudden I realized people in the airport were walking up to me. And they say, oh, you're that general. And he goes, yeah, I'm that general. You're the general that God is using to be a testimony and a witness for him. He goes, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and he said, this went on for, you know, and finally, there were so many charges against him, he asked for an investigation. And the investigation, here's what the investigation proved after a couple years of investigation, maybe, maybe a year. It proved <clears throat> that when he went out and spoke, and he spoke in the authority of Jesus, he never told people, this is not the administration policy. This is me. That's what they found him guilty of. 
and the fact that he didn't file uh, on his uh, expense voucher that the churches were paying for his travel to go there. That's what they found. He said, he said I'm talking about they had me on criminal charges. They had me on all sorts of stuff. He said, but here's what happened. People began to come to me and say, this is not about you. This is about the witness for Christ in our world. And guess what he's doing today? Traveling all over preaching the word of God. He hasn't quit. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulation on your behalf, for they're your glory. When we find ourselves going through difficulty, and if you have a commitment for Christ, and I apologize, I know that through the years there have been all sorts of preaching that, you know, you do, when you know Christ, everything gets wonderful and you don't have difficulty. Uh, things are wonderful, absolutely, no question. We have the unfathomable riches of Jesus in our lives. But it brings difficulty. It brings trial. It brings suffering. And as we walk through this in the way that God designed us to do so through him and through the work, and remember this very carefully, the work and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way we do it. Otherwise, we're sunk. As we do that, the angels are going are you kidding me? Wow, look at that. Is that not amazing? I also have a newsletter from someone that we're very familiar with, Hope Givers International. Ministry to India and other nations. And here's the request. Pray for our pastors. Remember... When our pastors are assigned to the ministry that God is calling them to, every one of them has to sign the martyr's oath, pledging their lives to share the good news regardless of the suffering, even to death. Now, some of us have had the privilege of traveling to India and being there when the pastors took those oaths. Isn't hypothetical because on the wall are the list of names of those who have given their life for the service of our King Jesus in that particular nation. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I think it would be wonderful if we, as the church of Jesus Christ here in America, would say, Lord, whether I live or die, it doesn't matter. But I want to know that my life is what you want it to be. So now I'm going to get a little Steve. Do we believe that what God created us for and put us here on planet Earth and put us here in our community? Do we believe that that was just so I could grow up, get a job, make some money? retire and wait for heaven. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, your word says that for us to live is Christ and for us to die is gain. 
I would pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, in my life, in the life of every person who is listening to this prayer at this very moment, that every one of us would absolutely, completely, and totally surrender to you. That where we have been grumbling about the things that we've been facing and encountering, that we would simply turn to you and give praise and honor and adoration. And I pray, God, that of this body of people, that the angels could look down and be in awe of how you, Holy Spirit, are carrying out the will and the purpose of God in our lives for which we were created and placed on planet Earth for. And if we've gotten so self-consumed as our culture has, that we would say no to those things that are not of you and yes to those things that you've called us and created us for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.